I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. This is part two of our episodes where we are answering questions from you, the listeners. hear that santa walked to the runway at a fashion show this week yeah he slayed yep that happened welcome to episode 58 part two of our questions from you the listeners um good to have you all back a little bit of a peak pit plug as we get into this Uh, my peak of the past couple weeks has been advent um advent has been really great to enter into because my pit has been that my prayer hasn't been very intentional. I've been kind of just going through the motions. My prayer has been very repetitive, saying the same things every day, not very conversational, more just like, here's the things, um, you know, that I do and I do it every day, but it hasn't really been fruitful. So, uh, Advent, I've really been taking the opportunity to change that up. Um, and then uh, my plug is that I just finished rewatching Lost. If you've never seen this show, um, it was on many, many years ago, um, but it pretty much changed TV and the whole uh, realm of like science fiction and, and you know, um, I guess it's kind of a sci-fi, but it has a lot of theological implications um, in the show. And um, it's very, very interesting show to rewatch um, where I'm at in my faith now, what I know about theology now, because when I first saw it, I was, you know, nowhere near um, and so it was just very interesting. So it's six seasons. If you've never seen it, um, I watched it on Hulu. You might be able to find it somewhere else, but, um, yeah, so that's been really cool to, to rewatch that so many years later. Um, so let's get into it. Our questions, um, we have a handful of questions from the last episode and one or two more that, um, I got in the interim that we will uh, answer today and then we'll get back into our normal course of episodes. Um, continue to pray for Jenna and Tony and Adelaide and their new baby Jude as they adjust to two baby life. Um, I got to see her the other day and um, we had a lot of fun with our kids playing together. So um, continue to pray for her. I'm sure she'll, uh, is itch- she's itching probably to get back on here um, as soon as she can. So, um, but anyways, let's get into it. Um, speaking of Advent, Um, Here's a question about Advent. I understand what the season of Advent is about, but how do I participate in it? In Lent, we know we are focusing on prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, but what practical things can I do to journey through Advent? Great question. So Advent is our preparation season for Christmas, just like Lent is our preparation season for Easter. They are both penitential uh, seasons. That's why we have the color purple, but Lent is more so oriented toward that. Um, Advent is more of kind of like a joyful uh, expectation or anticipation. And so um, there is a a sense of repentance. I think the best way to describe it is like a pregnancy. So when someone is pregnant, you're joyful, you know, you're excited that someone is pregnant, hopefully, um, and um, you're anticipating like uh, this baby's here, but not here yet. You know, you still have nine months of the baby in the womb. And so um, Advent is like that, where Christmas is like the birth. So Advent is all that time of preparation for the baby. And so what do you need to do? Well, you kind of got to figure out like, are there problems with 
our schedule, the way that we're doing life right now that are not going to allow for this newness, this new life to be um, part of our family? Um, are there things that we need to stop doing? Are there, we need to childproof the house? We kind of need to purge of certain things. We need to make space for the baby, make sure we have a nursery, a room. We need to, you know, gather and have a baby shower. And so you can apply all this to your spiritual life in a sense. Like, are you prepared to welcome Jesus into your life? And if you're not, um, what do you need to do to get there? Like, how do you need to rearrange the baby room in your heart, you know, to welcome him this Christmas? Because Advent is not just about Jesus being born 2000 years ago. It's also a reminder that he's going to come again in the future and that he wants to be born into our lives each and every day. And so really Advent is about our everyday life. Um, if we're doing Advent well, we should be thinking about that anticipation all year during ordinary time and all the other seasons. And so something that you can do during Advent is to focus on the uh, the practicalities of your life. Like, are you having time to connect with the Lord? Is there sin, temptation, obstacles in your life right now that are preventing you from welcoming God um, joyfully into what what's going on? Um, taking time away from the hustle of the season to really enter into that. And um, the best kind of preparation that I, um, simplest and best that I've come across, um, Bishop Barron said um, in, in our, how should we enter into Advent? Well, if you just um, imagine that you're going to die Christmas Day, as morbid as that may sound, what would you need to do to be prepared to um, be, meet the Lord face to face? You know, and what would you need to do to reconcile in your relationships? Um, make sure that you're as prepared as you can be for that to happen. If you knew you were going to die on Christmas Day, um, that kind of puts things in perspective. And, and that, I think, will kind of tell you, what do I need to start doing during Advent? So, yes, there's no particular focus on um, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. However, we should be doing those things um, during penitential seasons and throughout the year, really, anyway. We should be entering more deeply into prayer to prepare. We should be fasting from the things or getting rid of the things entirely that are preventing us from welcoming Jesus into our life. And uh, we should be giving alms, especially in a time of year where people are in need or people are really hurting during the holidays. So I would say apply those same things to to from Lent to Advent, but recognize the purpose for the season being slightly different uh, in our preparation. So I hope that answers that question for you. Next question. What are some of your favorite plugs for Catholic charities, including both places to give money or to offer acts of service at? This is a great question, and there are so many that I'm not going to mention that are wonderful because I'm just not aware of them at the moment or they're not popping into my head. I have a couple of my favorites, but the number one, the number one thing that you need to do if you want to give to, to charity is you need to register and tithe at your parish. You need to register at your parish so you're been being made aware of the different second collections, the different things that are going on. They'll send you envelopes. They might send you emails. Um, and if you tithe, if you're putting money in the basket every single week, not only does that go to the parish, but the parish is responsible for the spiritual needs of that entire um uh, parish boundary, so that entire city or region where your parish is, and they do a lot of charitable acts. And so at the parish I'm at, we give monthly to certain charities in our area um, as, a, as part of our responsibility to care for the spiritual needs of our city. And 
a lot some of that money also goes to the diocese and the diocese has all of these county-wide diocese-wide initiatives that help do that um, and so serving at your parish both of your time um, offering acts of service there and the different ways that you can um, and especially tithing that money is going to get all different places to all these organizations that have been vetted and that are doing good work for the corporal and spiritual needs of people who are in need um, other charities that um, in terms of uh, giving your money to that I would recommend, Mary's Meals is a wonderful charity. Um, it's uh, for $20, which is, I don't know, Starbucks for a couple weeks if you go pretty regularly. Um, you will sponsor one child to have one meal a day for an entire year in Africa or in a, an underprivileged country. And the reason this charity exists is because a lot of children in impoverished nations if they don't have access to food, they won't go to school and get educated because they have to find a way to get food for their family and survive. So what Mary's Meals does is it builds kitchens at schools to encourage children to come and get a hot meal and an education. Their parents don't have to worry about feeding them. And it's so cost effective because of the exchange amount and because of how they're able to use resources and the type of food that they can prepare um, Mary's Meals. So $20 you will feed a child one meal a day for an entire year just for $20. That money goes a long way. So I would highly encourage you to look them up. Um, I think they have a, a movie called Child 31. I might be mixing that up with a different organization. But look up Mary's Meals and, um, you know, you should uh, definitely support them. Shout out to Laura Schuberg who introduced me uh, to that charity. Um, hope you're listening. So, and then the other one that I would recommend is World Vision. They're a kind of sponsor a child somewhere else type of organization. So it's $39 a month um, to sustain their, you know, um, medical, uh, food, drink needs that they have. But what I love about World Vision is that periodically, I think like once a month, They'll send you things to sign or fill out or write in that you can then send to your sponsee. So there's an interactive uh, and ongoing kind of sponsorship where they're really encouraging you to build a relationship of prayer and support and really not just like giving money and throwing it away. Um, not that you're throwing it away, but kind of like putting money in the coffer and then you never see what happens to it, that you're uh, consistently on an ongoing basis interacting um, with that child. So we've adopted a, a little girl in Mozambique. Her name is Zedia. Um, and we've been, she's, we've been supporting her, I think for like, a almost two years, maybe year and a half, something like that. Um, maybe more, I don't know. Um, but I would recommend that. There's probably a lot of places for you to give your time in your local area. Um, I don't know where you're all listening from. Um, and so your diocese and your parish are going to be the best places to find uh, resources, especially if you have like a food pantry or anything that does um, assistance for people who need to pay bills or um, need groceries or something like that. They always have huge lists of support centers and places where they can send people on days where they're not providing services or services that they don't provide at all, how they can kind of pool resources and do that. So there's great uh, charities in our area where I am, Family Assistance Ministries, which has several different locations, which is about um, helping people out of homelessness, not just giving them a handout, but a hand up, helping them learn how to budget, get a job, get new clothes, um, get haircuts, um, live in um, assisted housing for a while with certain rules so they can get back on their feet, um, help people get out of um, addictive behaviors if that's something that they're in. They can't you know, um, be a part of that if they're in those programs. 
Um, and so Family Assistance Ministries is great. They have several offices and centers down in South Orange County. Um, so I would recommend that place. You can go and work in their warehouse, make boxes, pack food, um, help on their Super Saturdays when they have all these people come and get clothes and gifts and toys and haircuts and all these different interviews and budget and meetings and all these things. Um, they need lots of help on those days in particular. So uh, highly recommend all that. There's probably many, many more. There's a Catholic worker has tons of houses. Um, they have a couple in our diocese, Isaiah House and places like that. So um, yeah, Google will help you discover um, as well as your diocese and your parish, hopefully. So hopefully that answers your question. Next one, uh, what is some of your favorite Catholic literature? What would you recommend if someone uh, wanted to get into that? So this is just like the charity question. There's just so many places I could go, but I need to condense it to my personal favorites. So I'll make some general recommendations of like if you're really serious about learning about the foundations of Catholic theology and getting a little deeper in that. I'll make some general recommendations. But first, some of my favorite authors um, in the Catholic tradition, um, C.S. Lewis, even though he's not Catholic, um, he was, uh, he was I know, Catholic-friendly, friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, who was Catholic, uh, but he was Christian, and um, he's just written so many great uh, books, Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, The Screwtape Letters, which we talked about um, in a few episodes ago. Um, so I'd highly recommend him. Uh, Henry Nouwen is one of my favorite authors. Very easy to read, very um, speaking to the heart and not necessarily to the head, how we relate to God, how he sees us um, as even in the midst of our sin or our woundedness. So um, books like The Return of the Prodigal Son, The Wounded Healer, Life of the Beloved, um, all those books by, by Lewis and Nouwen are really short, easy reads, um, and they're very, very easy language uh, to get into. Um, if you're serious about theology and wanting to get in the foundations of that, um, I mean, everyone, everyone builds their theology upon Augustine and Aquinas. Um, so St. Augustine, one of the later church fathers um, in the, I think, 5th, 6th century, 4th century, I don't, can never remember how the 100 years differs there, but um, early in the church, um, his works, Confessions, City of God, um, those are some some good works from him. Um, in terms of his own personal conversion and the theology um, that he understood about what was happening to him in retrospect and City of God, all about, you know, the City of God and the City of Man and, and uh, the divine and the worldly and um, very interesting stuff. And then Aquinas. Uh, Aquinas is like the, the intellectual giant of our faith tradition. Um, and so every theologian modern since then has built upon those one or both of those two theologians um, you can read back to some fathers of the church, um, church fathers like um, Justin Martyr, um, some letters there, Irenaeus, um, Polycarp, um, but you're going to be a little uh, limited in terms of what's available. They only have like handfuls of works, most of them, or maybe just one or two that have survived. Um, but uh, Aquinas and Augustine have a huge um, library, especially Aquinas, of things to get into. So Aquinas' Summa Theologica um, is a huge monumental work, but it's all question-answer where he presents an argument, he answers it, he looks at the counter-arguments, he answers those, and he does it in a very um, steel man way where you build up the argument of the opposing side and almost make it very convincing, and then you answer it instead of presenting it in a really you know straw man type of way where you can just pick it apart really easily. Um, so if you're going to read Aquinas, I would get an introduction to Thomas Aquinas. Um, Matt Frad uh, has a lot of great resources on Aquinas, and his podcast, Pints with Aquinas, really helps unpack that. He's created some good uh, resources for like... Um, 
understanding the language of Aquinas and how to unpack certain theological ideas and terms that Aquinas uses, um, especially if they're not common in our vernacular in English today or in theology today, um, in just the general way that we speak. So I would recommend you go there um, to Matt Frad's resources if you want to get into Aquinas. And then other authors I would recommend, G.K. Chesterton is great, um, Bishop Barron, um, Dr. Scott Hahn, who uh, is a very famous convert, um, who was an anti-Catholic uh, pastor and then became Catholic, and then, you know, his wife then also. He's written a lot of books, um, from a, and, and he's very, very experienced in the Bible and um, just fell in love with Catholicism. And so that fervor, that Protestant fervor and knowledge of Scripture mixed with Catholic tradition, very, very good stuff. That's very high theology, very some very new ideas or very new connections, but written in more of a modern English practical way. So some of it might go over your head depending on your comfort comfort level with theology, but it's a good if you're trying to get into deeper theology um, and deeper ideas about Catholicism, different layers of things that you may not realize, uh, he's a good person to go to. And my all-time favorite theologian of all time, Hansers von Balthasar, um, all about the way of, the, of beauty and um, just he has some amazing stuff. Again, very dense theological things, um, and it was all not originally written in English, and so, you know, um, had to be translated. Um, so just be aware of that, um, at least I think, or am I thinking of Rahner? I don't know, maybe. But um, I wrote my master's thesis on um, evangelization through beauty and used a lot of Balthazar, and Bishop Robert Barron uses a lot of Balthazar in the way that he uh, leads with the beautiful and talks about hopeful universalism and things like that. So um, very, very highly recommend those particular people. Next question. I have friends who know I'm Catholic and are curious to learn more about my faith. I know attending a mass can be a little intimidating, confusing, overwhelming. Amen. For someone who either does not know much about the faith or just wants to gently be introduced. Do you have any suggestions on how to engage or offer resources to people who are curious but slowly want to dip their pinky toe into learning more? Great question. Um, so first and foremost, I would shy away always if someone's curious about the faith, unless they're asking directly for this don't just give them a book and walk away or say, read this and then come talk to me about it because you're kind of disconnecting yourself from that. You know, our faith is all about community and journeying with people. And if you remember anything about your conversion or how you came to know the Lord, it was probably much more a person or people that journeyed with you than a book that really caused you to, to take that leap in or to start to feel like you belonged. Um, and so I would really walk with them um, and I would really just model your faith well. Um, they say with parenting and with evangelizing is, is how I've been applying it as well. More is caught than taught. If you want to teach your children something or you want other people to learn things that you find valuable, just model them well and they will catch on. It's a lot more effective than you just trying to talk at them. But if they see it lived with joy and that you're approachable and you don't shy away when faith is brought up, even if it's done so negatively that you're willing to lovingly and gently um, say, actually, you know, uh, that's not what Catholics believe, or that's not an accurate representation of the faith. Or you could just say, huh, that's interesting. Why would you say that? What in your experiences led you to believe that? Um, especially someone saying something negative. And be, oh, I hadn't heard that before. I grew up Catholic. Tell me more about why you feel that way. And, you know, puts the impetus on them to defend their position. And you're coming from an area, not to debate them, but to really understand where they're coming from. And then to meet them um, there with a an accurate and authentic depiction of the faith lived out well, joyfully, that's attractive, that can't really be like argued away, you know? Um, if you're a genuinely joyful person in your faith, 
people can argue about the 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 logic of the faith all they want, but they can't argue away why you're joyful. Like it's just obvious, you know. So um, I would not shy away from opportunities. Be approachable. Um, wear your faith on your sleeve in such a way that you don't feel like you're throwing it down people's throats, but you're also not ashamed of it, that you're ready and willing to wear or use or carry things like saint medals, rosaries, scapulars, um, you know, those little tiny saint charms, things like that, that can start the conversation and that um, not because you're trying to get people to pay attention to you, but because, you know, we want to make sure that we're being available to people. And if people have questions that they know we're approachable. Um and you never know if you're going to bring up something in the workplace or in a group of friends um, lovingly and gently. Others probably will actually agree with you or at least want to know more, but they're too afraid to speak up because they think either that they're alone in their thinking that like, oh, what that guy said about the church is really negative and extreme, but everyone else is laughing. So I'm just going to laugh because I don't really know. You know, they think they're alone or they don't want to offend anyone. They think they might be a minority if they speak up. And so if you can have the bravery to do it with gent with gentility, is that a word? I don't know. Um, and, and do that, that can be the opening door that they need. Then you can see where they're at, you know, um, listen, uh, speak to where they are and provide resources if they're asking, if, if you think it's appropriate, but don't just leave them, you know? Um, and then I would think about what are things that you go to or that you'd be interested in going to that are more approachable, maybe starting a small group, um, or maybe you have a small faith group that you go to and you might invite them once, um, to just kind of meet people and just see like, we're not weird as Catholics. We're joyful. We love talking about the Lord and this isn't some kind of cult, you know, like just to kind of build that barrier, overcome that barrier of trust that they need to overcome first, as Sherry Waddell talks about in Forming Intentional Disciples. We first need to build a bridge of trust before people are going to be open uh, or curious. Uh, trust comes before curiosity. Then curiosity leads to openness. Openness leads to seeking and seeking leads to discipleship. Um, and so recognizing where they are in those thresholds, in those different stages, um, or maybe they're pre-trust. Maybe they're really mad at the church and they don't trust anyone. Uh, you can be that person that is willing to listen to them and say, you know, I'm really sorry that that happened to you and that's your experience. Um, you know, is there is there any questions or anything that you then in that moment could clear up for them or uh, is there any way you could just pray for them right then uh, to help bring some understanding and some openness and, and heal some of the hurt or pain they may have accurately felt um, from their experience in, in any type of religious tradition? Um, maybe invite them to a Bible study. Um, something away from church grounds um, might be a good opener. Um, a social event or an age level group. Um, we have a young adult group that's very um, welcoming and open. We've had people there who aren't Catholic before or who are just brand new back into their faith or don't really go to mass, but they want some kind of community. And, you know, they catch on. They see people joyfully living out their faith and they get involved. They uh, receive some of their sacraments that they hadn't received when they were younger. They get fully initiated, things like that. So you never know what's going to happen. Um, a great way I think that um, is more is approachable is leading uh, leading with events that aren't necessarily geared toward the true. So truth is relative in our day and age. Um, and so if you're going to an event that deals with the truth of theology, so like a formation event, a Bible study, um, something where you're learning about the Catholic faith, that might not be the good first step unless the person is directly asking for that. Um, instead, leading with the good and especially leading with the beautiful. So if you have a really beautiful like prayer service or an XLT or praise and worship night or a very evangelization oriented event at your parish or out in the community, you know, if there's things like in Orange County, we have Heart of the City, Mass Underground, things like that. 
Um, those are things to invite someone to, to really have an experience of beauty and see, hey, there's something here and I want to find out more about it. Or an experience of the good. This is something that is more palatable for, for people because they see it in and out of the church. And so asking them to do service with you. So if you want to go serve at a soup kitchen or help at family assistance ministries or something like that, or in a food pantry at your parish or somewhere local, ask them to come do it with you and meet some of the people. Um, most people want to make a difference and want to help people. Um, it's just part of our uh, of our recent generations. Not that other generations didn't want to, but we're very aware of that because we're so globally connected um, in these past two generations of millennials and Generation Z. So that's something to be aware of. Um, recognize that people want to belong before they believe. Um, and so in traditional days of the church, if you're dealing with someone who's older or you're an older person um, who was part of the church at a time where it was like, you came, you believed, you show up, you were Catholic, no questions asked. And then maybe you might have a sense of belonging. You might come to stuff, you might participate, but you were going to be there and you were going to believe. That's not the way anymore of this generation and of the church today That's and how religion is talked about across all ages today um, is that people want to belong first especially younger generations. They want to belong first. They want to have a sense of community, a sense of relationship, um, an experience of camaraderie where they're welcome as they are before they have any sense of, okay, maybe I'll start actually thinking about believing. Uh, And so recognize that. How can we get them to belong? How can I introduce this person to other great Catholic people and maybe just have a game night at my house or invite them over to dinner and just find out their story and what their life is about and what they're into. And we don't even have to talk about faith, but build that bridge of trust and then invite. Just invite them to things that you find interesting that you want to go to. Um, And then if you do invite them to Mass, I would encourage you to do that at some point. Um, Don't shy away from the Mass, especially if they're curious. But depending on the situation, again, you're right in assuming it may not be the very first thing to invite them to. Um, I would invite them to your home or introduce them to other Catholic people so they know you're not an insane person and help it be more appealing and approachable for them because then they can sit with you. They can ask questions, you know, uh, give them the missile, read along with them, give them the song sheets if you have them, explain things that are happening, you know, sit in an area where it's okay for you to whisper or to talk or at least, um, you know, encourage them to bring a journal and make notes um, to questions to ask later and then go out to breakfast after, um, you know, or explain to them a little bit of the structure of the mass. Like we get together, we greet one another, we recognize we're there to praise the Lord. And then we, um, listen to some readings from the old Testament, the Psalm, the new Testament, the gospels, and that, uh, whatever theme links those readings that are read everywhere at mass all over the world is presented in the homily by the priest or the deacon. And, and then we reflect on it, and then we go into preparing ourselves to be offered as gifts, along with the gifts of bread and wine, to be transformed. And those gifts of bread and wine, we believe, become the actual body and blood of Jesus. And we receive that for our own spiritual nourishment, to sustain us on the journey, and in recognition that Jesus is our once and for all sacrifice um, for our sins when he gave his life for us on the cross. And our participation in that by receiving him in his body and in his blood is a remembrance of that original sacrifice. And we don't ever want to forget what he did for us. And so we receive him in that way and we do it reverently and we pray. And there's a lot of great prayers that go with that. And then we are sent forth. Um, And so you can give them a really good just description of the mass and then lead them into that. But again, dipping their pinky toe in might be mass, might not. I really loved 
uh, when I was exploring different religions before I um, I had my conversion, my real conversion to Catholicism, I just I loved going to services and seeing what what it was about, doing exactly that, writing thing da- things down, asking if there's anyone there I could interview or talk about like what do you believe, how does someone become part of your community, um, you know what are your scriptures, what does it look like to live out this particular faith on a daily life, what is expected of you by your religious tradition or your church. Um, I liked finding those things out to kind of get the whole picture. Some people are more, they want an experience um, that connects to them and that's what they care about most. And both of those are valuable. So you're not going to know that if you don't get to know the person first. So coffee, dinner, game night, invite them to a group of, you know, non-insane Catholic people. Um, You know, we're all a little bit weird, but you know, at least people who aren't going to turn them off and uh, start from there. So I hope that helps. Uh, And don't shy away from um, if you're allowed to wearing things or talking about things openly, gently, lovingly, not in an aggressive way in the workplace, in your school, um, even though you think you might be the minority there, I'm surprised always when I speak up of people who will say later, thank you for saying something, or actually, yeah, I've heard that too. Or actually, yeah, I was raised this and, but, and I'm not practicing anymore, but I, I still appreciate this and that, you know, and there's a lot of religious familiarity, and people who still like the fact that they were raised in a particular religion, even if they don't practice. And so if you can bring that out in a conversation in a loving and gentle way, um, you'll see that you probably have a lot more in common with people than you realize. And last question for our questions episodes. What are things you can do when you feel spiritually dry? Great question. Um, We did a episode on prayer, first of all, uh, episode three, I believe, uh, Pray Without Ceasing. Um, And I think we talk a little bit about that. Um, And I think we have a blog on our site um, that's called When You Don't Want To, um, When You Don't Want to Pray and things like that, as that was a follow-up to that episode or one of our early episodes. So you might want to go back and listen to that, but I'll probably say some things that that overlap. Um, So I would say, first of all, when you're feeling spiritually dry, recognize that prayer is a conversation between two people, two or more people. And a conversation is two-sided. And so you need to check in and see how am I tuning in and being intentional about the ways in which we know in our tradition, God speaks. God can speak through silence. He can speak through scripture. He can speak to us in the sacraments or at least sustain us and help us to be in relationship with him in the sacraments. And he can speak to us through other people. So do a check of those things. Am I having time in silence in my prayer where I'm just listening? I'm trying to get my mind blank and maybe I offer an intention. Maybe I meditate on some scripture. I see what stands out and then I listen for what the Lord's trying to tell me. Um, But are you spending an equal amount of silence as you are talking? Because we all know if we have that friend that talks too much or is always asking us for stuff, it's really hard to feel like you're having a good, deep, meaningful conversation when they just will not stop. So um, I think we do that to God pretty much all the time. So make sure that you are having time in meditative quiet and silence to listen and reflect and use scripture because that is the word of God. Like God is speaking still through the words of scripture. He wants to speak to you through those words. Don't play Bible bingo, you know, like, cause you're going to end up maybe in Leviticus and like, don't sleep with your sheep and your sister and whatever, all these weird ritual laws. You're like, that's gross. Uh, I don't know what God's trying to say to me, but definitely not that, you know? Um, so look up the daily readings. We recommend this all the time and maybe just read the gospel and pray through that or the Psalm. I write a, uh, a blog every single week. Uh, it comes out on Tuesdays on our Instagram and on our website. 
that is a reflection on the psalm for that upcoming Sunday. And that can be something that you sit with and then you reflect on silently. There's always some kind of questions in there, things to reflect on, and a challenge or something to recommend for you to do in your prayer life or as you try and live out your faith that week. So maybe that's a way you can engage with Scripture. Um, and frequenting the sacraments. When was the last time you went to confession? How frequently do you go to Mass? Do you just go on Sundays? Do you have time to go another time during the week? Uh, there are probably areas near you that have early morning daily Masses, afternoon or evening ones, um, and I don't know your schedule, but if that's something you can do to frequent the sacraments more often, or at least go to chapel and have time in front of the Eucharist, either in the tabernacle or exposed in adoration and a monstrance, um, those are all ways that you can check on those things. And then how other people are speaking to you. Are you involved? Are you talking about the faith in a group setting? Like, are you in a small group? Are you in a Bible study? Are you engaging with the things at the parish? All that is going to help you grow in your relationship with God. Uh, and allow him to speak in a variety of different ways. Uh, and then I would recommend that you ask the who, what, where, when, why, how questions about your prayer life to change it up. So who, for instance, who do you typically pray to? Do you pray to God the Father typically? Do you pray to God the Son, Jesus? Do you pray to God the Spirit? Um, and who do you pray with? Do you commonly pray alone by yourself? Do you pray with other people? So I would look at all the who's of your prayer life and then change them. Look at changing them. Maybe you're really comfortable with God the Father, but you've never really explored your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, maybe start to do that and see, you know, learn about the Holy Spirit, what that brings about. Um, if you always pray in quiet, see if you are in a relationship or married, if you want to do that as a couple, if you have friends or a small group that you could pray with once a week, uh, get together. There is such a beautiful group of women who meet in the uh, meeting room right across from my new office who meet once a week and they pray together for an hour. And it's all these beautiful, I think they pray for every need the church could possibly have. Like I hear a range of things, like, and it's incredible what they do. They pray rosary, divine mercy chaplet, they pray these litanies, they pray for all these different intentions, and I just feel so graced listening to it. Um, so maybe you need a group setting like that to hold you more accountable. Um, but look at the who, how can you change that up? Look at the what. What is your typical prayer style or type? Um, so there's different prayer styles. Um Adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication, acts. Adoration is prayers of praise and love for God. Contrition is prayers of examination and telling God we're sorry. Thanksgiving is prayers of gratitude. And supplication is petitions, prayers of need. We're, we all probably are pretty good at supplication. And some of us probably good at thanksgiving. The other two we don't do as frequently, so maybe changing that up. Or if you do one of the other ones more frequently, try and, you know, have a more even-keeled approach or try another type or a style. And then there are so many types of prayer. Uh, praise and worship, meditation, journaling, scripture, Lexio Divina, the rosary, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, um, fixed prayers like the Our Father, uh, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, um, novenas, spontaneous prayer, um, litanies, all these different things. And that's like, you know, a sliver of what exists in our tradition. Um, explore something new, um, do something totally different, uh, or keep doing what you're doing, but change how you're doing it. So for instance, um, I journal on the readings every single day, but I was finding in my journaling after I wrote what stood out to me in each reading, I was just writing the prayers that I would normally say out loud. And I pray for pretty much the same things every day. And then what's unique to that day? Who's on my heart? What's going on that day? And it was very just dry writing it on a page. So I was like, you know, this Advent, I need to start praying those things out loud again in my car, in chapel. 
And I'm just going to journal about the readings and how I think God is trying to speak to me specifically and not just write the word and make that conclusion in my own mind. But I'm going to write it out and give God thanks for how he's speaking to me that day. So each day when I look at it is unique, um, wholly unique, not not like just a little differences here and there. So you can do the same thing, but change what you're doing. Um, and um, that's maybe more of a how, but look at the what. Then look at the where. Where are you when you typically pray? Are you at home? Are you in your bed? Are you in chapel? Are you in a church? Are you walking? You know, if that's not working for you anymore, change the location. If you're commonly inside by yourself, go outside into a beautiful area. Go on a walk, go in a park, a quiet place or a quieter place because outside there's going to be noise, you know, but change it up. You know, if you commonly pray at home, go pray at the church. Um, uh, look at the when. How often are you praying? Do you only pray at night? Um, maybe uh, pray at the beginning of the day to really give your day to the Lord and allow him uh, to be invited into what you have going on that day. Um, pray throughout the day at different times. You can set alarms on your phone. You can. I know people who set alarms at noon to pray the Angelus, which is a prayer that's prayed all over at noon, or at 3 p.m. to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet because that's the hour Jesus died was at 3. Um, you can do that every day, or you can do the Divine Mercy at 3 p.m. on Fridays to represent Good Friday and the Angelus on Sundays at noon when the Pope does the Angelus in uh, St. Peter's Basilica um, and so or St. Peter's Square, whatever it is. Um, look at the win. The why. Look at the why. This, I think, is a really important thing. Like, why are you praying? Are you praying because you're supposed to pray? Are you praying because that's how you've been taught? Are you praying because um, you inherited these prayer traditions from someone else? If you're not praying because you want to be in conversation and fall more deeply in love with Jesus Christ, God, then you're praying wrong. I think I can say that definitively because then prayer does not make sense. Prayer is just a meaningless ritual with no person behind it. If there's not a desire for relationship and falling more deeply in love with Jesus, um, prayer should prayer and your relationship with Jesus, is should, it should turn your life upside down. It should completely change things. And if it's not, if it's become mundane, it's probably because the why has become more ritualized and habit-based than relationship-based. So ask yourself, why do I pray? Why do I do this every day? Am I motivated? Um, do I need a new why? And then how? How am I praying? Do you commonly pray in your mind? Maybe you should pray out loud. Do you commonly pray when you're sitting? Uh, maybe you should kneel or stand or go for a walk. Um, this goes back to the what. You know, if I'm praying a certain way, how could I do that same way differently? So I think those will help. Ask those who, what, where, when, why, how questions when it comes to your prayer life. And then check in on the ways that we know the Lord always speaks to us. Silent scripture, sacraments, and other people. Um, I wish there was another S to make them all S's. Um, I can't think of one. So, um, yeah, and uh, see if that helps when you feel spiritually dry. When you look at all those different questions, all the details of who, what, where, when, why, how, there's so many little things you can do to change. But when we feel spiritually dry, it feels kind of like this exhausting, like I have to overhaul everything that I'm doing. When in reality, if you just picked one or two of those questions and tweaked them a little bit, that could be all you need. You just need a little refresher, um, a little spice added into your prayer life. So I would encourage you to do that. Those are all of our questions. I hope your question was answered. If you have a question that this episode spurred or one that's been on your heart that you would love to know about Catholicism, or maybe you have the answer, but it's not satisfying, 
or you have a question that's not necessarily about what the church teaches, you know the church teaching, but how to apply it in a given situation, that's really what our podcast is about. We want to help encourage and inspire you as you seek to live out your faith in daily life. So you may know the information about our faith really well and how to answer a question, but when it comes to the practical gray area of a situation or relationship or how to put this into practice in your own life, it may be difficult for you to define or answer those. And so we really want to be here for that. So if you have any questions like that, please send them our way. Um, Thank you, as always, to all of you who are supporting our podcast. The highest compliment you can pay us is to share this with a friend. Um, So maybe you can form a little group um, where you come together and you listen to this podcast and you talk about it, or you come together and you read one of our blogs, um, like the Psalm Reflection every week, and you pray through that um, and have some, you know, questions that go with it. And if you need more resources from us to help you do that, please let us know. Um, so uh, pray for us as we continue to pray for you. If you want to support us financially, go to our website, um, manafoodforthought.com, all spelled out. And you can support us on Patreon. You'll find also all of our blogs, vlogs, all of our backlog of episodes for this podcast, all the way back to episode zero uh, to go listen, because I think iTunes cuts them off after a certain time or whatever you're listening to, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, And make sure you rate and review our podcast on wherever you're listening to it. That helps other people find it. Don't just rate it. Leave an actual review. We want to know what you think. Uh, So hopefully this episode has been a benefit to you. Know that we're praying for you. And until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.